Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. I'm Amy Howe. The Supreme Court this week issued three decisions in relatively low-profile cases involving patent law, the Armed Career Criminal Act, and the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. They also added five new cases to their docket for next term. And they're now officially on the home stretch with less than 20 days left in June. They've got 24 cases to decide. Joining me to talk through the home stretch in June is Tom Goldstein. Tom, thanks for joining us. See you there. So the justices are only scheduled to sit to release opinions twice more on Monday, June 17th and Monday, June 24th. But presumably they'll add somewhere around three more days to release opinions, maybe Thursday, June 20th, and a couple of days the week after that. We, uh, we don't know. Right. You never know until... They let you know, uh, and they don't let you know until at least the Monday of that week, but that would be their usual habit. And can you give us a sense of what's going on behind the scenes at the Supreme Court? Are they done writing opinions now? Are they going back and forth on sort of the, the drafts, finalizing them? Right. So the process of doing first drafts of opinions is over. There's an internal deadline. It's now passed. Uh, and it passed a, a decent while ago. And so we now are in the period in which they are past doing initial drafts of opinions. Right now, they are going back and forth. Majorities will have been circulated. Dissents will have circulated. Uh, they'll be improved. They'll respond to each other. And they'll have comments. So, for example, someone will have circulated a majority opinion from April, and one of the members of the majority will say, well, I'm ready to join this opinion if you make these four changes. So it's into the fine detail now, and a lot of resources are going into that because, of course, the court and its staff are not getting ready for any upcoming oral arguments. That's you know on the shelf until October. But presumably we're still now at this point sort of getting the opinions as they're ready. There's not some sense that we need to space out the opinions so that we're releasing them the right number at the right time or in any order of profile or anything like that. Yeah, that's definitely not how the institution works. They do have a a real general practice of trying to avoid deciding more than five or conceivably six cases during a day. But besides that, it's just first in, first out when it comes to them being done. Uh, People might think that the court holds back the most important cases till the end of the term, and that's not what's going on. It's just that those are the hardest fought ones frequently. And so people have the right, justices have the right to go until the very bitter end uh, saying that they want to make further revisions. And that's why we sometimes get, you know, uh, a major case in three different days in the last week of June. Let's take a closer look at a couple of the major cases that are left. The first one is one that maybe we didn't have the sense was necessarily going to be a case that we'd all be waiting for at the end of June. It's a case called Gundy versus United States. It was argued on October 2nd, and it deals with the non-delegation doctrine, which is a doctrine that bars Congress from giving its legislative power to another branch of government unless Congress provides an intelligible principle to guide the government officials who be, who will be implementing the law. And the question in Gundy is whether a law called the Sex Offender Registration and Notification Act violates the non-delegation doctrine because it gives the U.S. Attorney General the authority to decide whether the law's registration requirement for sex offenders applies to sex offenders who were convicted before the law went into effect. So as I said, it was argued on October 2nd 
One of the things about the Supreme Court is that they make a real effort to divide up the workload evenly, not just over the course of the entire term, but from each sitting, which is the two-week period during the months from October to April when they hear oral arguments, from sitting to sitting. So from the October sitting, Justice Sonia Sotomayor was the only justice who hasn't written for the October sitting yet. Um, So presumably she's writing the decision in Gandhi. It's a case in which there were only eight justices participating because it was argued before Justice Brett Kavanaugh was uh, took the bench. So we know that, but we don't really know why it's taking so long. This is something that is a, a hot topic on the live blog that we run every week. It's a hot topic in the press room. Any any insight into, what, into what's going on here? Well, a lot could be going on or nothing could be going on, and uh, the status quo would be consistent with either of those. The theory that a lot is going on is that the court could be split three different ways with only eight members on this question, and that is the oral argument suggested that the justices might avoid the constitutional question by uh, identifying intelligible principles in the statute that really hadn't been the focus before and find it relatively uncontroversial that the statute is constitutional. So there could be members of the court who think that. There could be members of the court who want to expand the non-delegation doctrine to impose more limits on Congress and to require it to be more detailed in the laws that it writes. And there could be people who have a very lax view of that. So I mean, this is a case where the justices probably don't care a ton about this individual statute, but the legal principle is massively important and is one that lawyers and hence justices love. Non-delegation is just a very, very uh, significant but underexplored doctrine in the law. The theory that uh, a lot could be going on also could involve uh, the loss of a majority opinion. So we do have situations in which a case is assigned to someone like Justice Sotomayor, and during the course of the writing of the majority in dissenting opinions, it turns out that a 5-4 case flips and becomes 5-4 the other way, and that can slow things down because the dissent has to be converted into a majority opinion and vice versa. That would be strange here because you have only eight members of the court. So it would have to be 5-3 one way, flipping and becoming 5-3 the other way, which is would be pretty unusual, and the oral argument didn't suggest that was happening. So the theory that nothing is going on is the prospect that the case is 4-4. There'll be times, or it wouldn't be that nothing's going on, but not much is going on. Sometimes a case will be hard fought, it'll be 4-4, and the court will go until the bitter end, the last day of the term, trying to work out whether you can get to a five-justice majority. And so we have had recent terms where you'll get to the last day And there'll be an announcement that a judgment is affirmed by an equally divided court. So it's possible that this will all end with a just a sigh uh, and no resolution. If you were to ask me, I think it's the first possibility. There's just, you know, a a lot going on in the case. There are several theories that it could be resolved on under. And, you know, some cases just take a long time. All right. And if you're wrong, no one will remember it. Oh, people will remember this forever. (laughs) All right. The next case we're waiting on, I mean, we're waiting on 24 cases, but there's a case called American Legion versus American Humanist Association, also known as the Bladensburg Peace Cross case. It's the 
challenge to the constitutionality of a 93-year-old cross that sits on a traffic median outside Washington, D.C. Um, the tea leaves are kind of hard to read for this one. It was argued in February, which only had six cases to start. There are three cases that haven't been decided yet. Only Justices Thomas, Sotomayor, and Kagan have written so far, so they're unlikely to be writing um, the decision in that case. Um, but otherwise, it's hard to make many predictions. Uh, the, Justice Samuel Alito has only written two majority opinions for the term so far, which suggests that he could be writing, you know, he could be writing, who knows what he'll be writing, but this seems like a, a, a possible opinion that he could be writing. Sure. One would really look at it this way, is, you know, it's a establishment clause case. It's very fraught in the Supreme Court. Even if not that many people worry terribly about this individual cross, the area of the law is very significant, and the justices are passionate about it. They have very divergent views on the separation of church and state and how much the government can be involved with religion, symbolic uh, gestures by the government, and how whether they carry religious connotations. So it, if it's a you know closely fought five to four opinion – then you'd be more likely to see one of the most conservative members of the Supreme Court writing it. If instead some of the members of the left on the court have decided to come over and join the result, you might be expecting a more centrist justice to write in order to hold together a broader majority. Um, and that has been the left's strategy recently in cases like this, not to like go down swinging five to four. Uh, but rather to try and slow the movement of the law to the right. Um, but we really no way to know at this point. If you were to ask me, the fact that Justice Alito has so few opinions out, ironically would suggest that he's not writing this opinion because it suggests he has fewer opinions in the end. But again, no way to know. In March, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in two partisan gerrymandering cases. One was a challenge to North Carolina's congressional map the other was a challenge to a single single federal congressional district in Maryland. Um, here, too, it's kind of too soon to read the tea leaves because only Justices Thomas and Sotomayor have written majority opinions. Uh, partisan gerrymandering seems like something, had they heard oral arguments in October, this is like would likely be something we'd still be waiting on in June. But particularly because it was argued relatively late in the term, this is an issue that the justices have struggled with. They essentially punted on partisan gerrymandering when they heard oral arguments in two partisan gerrymandering cases last term. Yeah, and that was with Justice Kennedy, who cared a lot about the issue and presented the, you know, the possibility of the Supreme Court putting some momentum behind these cases. Now, the conventional wisdom is that the more conservative members of the court aren't going to be willing to seriously recognize partisan gerrymandering claims. But one thing we can be confident in is that it will it will probably go to the bitter end. Another case that's probably going to go to the bitter end, but is certainly sort of on the clock, so to speak, is the census citizenship case, Department of Commerce versus New York. This is the challenge to the decision to add a question about citizenship to the 2020 census. Two weeks ago, the challengers notified the Supreme Court about new evidence that they said indicates that a Republican redistricting strategist had played an important role in the decision to add the question and that the question had been added 
to give an advantage to whites and Republicans in upcoming elections. The government responded, said the challenger's accusations were baseless. Meanwhile, the justices are presumably still moving along, writing opinions in the case. This was a case that I thought after the oral argument certainly looked like there were five votes among the conservative justices for the government. And it seems to me unlikely that this evidence probably is going to do much more than sort of add a couple of footnotes to the opinion. But we'll find out. Yeah, if that... Um, I think that the plaintiffs here were hurt by the district judge's decision not to press forward on this question while the case was in the Supreme Court. If the district judge had made findings about this evidence, that might well have caused it to have implications for what the Supreme Court was doing. And that's exactly why the district judge declined to do that. Right now, you have the accusation of the plaintiffs, the government saying it's all made up. So in the end, I can't imagine that it will do more than maybe put some atmospheric force behind the view that the question is problematic, which by all accounts, as you're saying, will be the view of the dissent. So this time of year, the focus is almost exclusively on the opinions that the court is issuing in the cases that have, have already been argued. But at the same time, the court's also building its docket for next term. This month is generally the last chance to grant review in cases for next fall. The Supreme Court has had on its cert docket for much of 2019 three separate petitions involving the Trump administration's decision to terminate the program known as DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which was a program started by the Obama administration that allowed young people who'd been brought here without documentation as children to apply for protection from deportation. The Trump administration had decided to wind down the program Three different lower courts had blocked the government from ending the program, and so the Trump administration had asked the Supreme Court to weigh in. The justices considered the Trump administration's petitions at a conference in January, and then the cases had just been sitting on hold without any explanation. But today, the court's electronic docket shows that the petitions have been distributed again for consideration at the justices' conference on Thursday. Now, the justices have had a practice for the last couple of years of only granting review after they have considered cases at at least two conferences. So is this a sign that perhaps they're trying to at least give themselves room to consider them at two conferences and grant review before they take off for their summer recess? Well, I think that the court probably has scheduled itself to consider the petitions in the wake of a request by the Solicitor General to speed up yet another one of these cases. The justices formally denied a motion to expedite the different petitions, but then did agree to consider the ones that were already pending. So my guess is that at least some members of the court said, well, maybe we really do need to act on the DACA petitions before we go into summer recess. The real question is, why were they waiting all this time? There's no obvious answer for that. It may well have been, for example, that there is another case on the docket that they think has implications for DACA, and that would probably be the census case and the question of how much deference you give to government agencies. It's not particularly on point, but it's the it's the one that comes to mind. <laughs> it's what you got. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, fundamentally, I think, if I were the Supreme Court here and I'm not involved in these cases at all, I would be annoyed because this case is, these cases are stupid on some level. And that is 
Three courts have said to the administration, the reason that you have given for withdrawing DACA is invalid, but everybody knows that the administration could give another reason and withdraw DACA. The administration could solve this problem itself in a rulemaking and just say, uh, you know, this is the process uh, that's that that you need to follow. And in fact, the court did, I should say, decide, just decide a case on what procedures have to be followed, whether you have to follow notice and comment rulemaking. And so it's possible that the justices are now considering DACA in light of that ruling mm. that they just issued. So that would be another possibility. Uh, there was a, a case called Azar versus Alina Health Services. Right. Is that- and, and where they said that notice and comment rulemaking was required. So it, it's possible for that principle of administrative law. But th- because the administration could solve this problem very quickly itself by just giving a correct rationale, which would simply be, we don't like the policy. Uh, They withdrew it on the ground that it was illegal. And if they had instead said, we're just using our discretion, the president decided he doesn't want to do DACA anymore. Just that the Trump administration doesn't want to take the political hit from doing that. So I think the justices, if I were the justices, I would be, be annoyed at being put in this position in the first place. It might have informed some of the members of the court not being in any rush to, to decide the issue. Speaking of things that have been sitting on the docket for a while, so last term the Supreme Court heard the case of a man called Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker who declined on religious grounds to bake a custom cake for a same-sex couple. The Supreme Court last term issued a relatively narrow ruling. They said the Colorado administrative agency that ruled against Phillips had treated him unfairly because it was too hostile to his religious beliefs. The Supreme Court didn't answer what everyone regarded as the key question in the case, which was whether or not he can be compelled to bake a cake for a same-sex couple or whether that would violate his right to freedom of speech. That question is back at the Supreme Court in the case of an Oregon couple who declined to bake a cake for a same-sex couple. The Supreme Court will have considered that case now at 10 consecutive conferences. It's been distributed for the conference on Thursday, June 13th. Yeah, and so one thing to recognize here is the difference in treatment between the DACA cases and this one. The DACA cases have just been sitting on a shelf. The justices haven't been considering them week after week, unlike the new uh, religion case which has been considered week after week after week. And so the follow-on to the Colorado Baker case, it suggests that someone is writing something, Mm -hmm. and that would most likely be, or in fact almost certainly would be, a dissent from the denial of cert. Now, you don't know that cert will be denied because not infrequently that process results in the court granting cert, that, you know, whoever the opinion author is eventually uh, persuades someone to give them a fourth vote, for example. But my guess is that here sometime soon we'll get an order denying cert and there'll be a, a lengthy opinion from one of the conservatives saying we should have taken this case. We should take this case because we've essentially taken this case before. Yep. We'll wait and see. We're expecting orders and opinions on Monday, June 17th. Tom Goldstein, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Case Text, our sponsor, and thanks to our production team, Andrew Hamm, Edith Roberts, and John Levitan.